In preparation for this incredible sermon you're about to hear, um, I did what I always do, and uh, that is head over to the Revised Common Lectionary. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's like a three-year cycle of readings that kind of follow the church calendar, and it gives you options, and we're kind of, you know, on this larger journey with the universal church when we participate in that. And so I tend to go over there. I don't have to use those tags. It's not a requirement here, but um, I usually do. So we're currently in the season after Pentecost, also known as Ordinary Time. Uh, We'll be here until Advent begins, just after Thanksgiving. But regardless, every week there's about four to six options, scripture options for any given Sunday, which is awesome because, as you may have noticed... There's a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible. So it's always nice to have, you know, several options. So you can pick one or two that aren't so confusing or complicated, antiquated, you name it. So this week I'm looking at my options. I've been given one after another. And I'm just like, it's one of those weeks. All these former Baptist preachers know. It's one of those weeks. I was like, oh no. Oh no, I'm not going to do this one. I'm not going to do this one, one after another. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to deal with this before I can get to anything else in the sermon. More work for me, more work for you, more work for us all. Super fun. Um, so if, for a split second, I did consider just sort of proof texting and just sort of choosing the pieces that sounded okay and then cutting short all the other sections that make us uncomfortable. But ultimately, I decided, no, we are doing this. <laughs> In fact, it's your lucky day because I didn't just choose one or even two readings. Instead, I'm going to read to you everything that annoyed or gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm going to read it all to you. So I present to you, buckle up, the lectionary readings for the, where are we, 15th Sunday after Pentecost? Okay, from Exodus. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. (laughs) and puppies on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment I am the Lord from the Psalter um, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples Uh, let's see chains of iron (laughs) Execute on them the judgment decreed. Anyway, praise the Lord. Okay, from Ezekiel. If I say to the wicked, O wicked ones, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from their ways, the wicked will die in their iniquity, but their blood will be on your hands. Um, Okay, moving on to Romans. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify any of its desires. Ever. Um, I added that. (laughs) From the Gospel of Matthew, if a member refuses to listen, tell it to the whole church what they did. And if the offender refuses to listen to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, a.k.a. your enemy. Fun stuff, yeah? Super fun. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to give a 45-minute sentence-by-sentence exegetical breakdown. (laughs) 
We're going to talk about the context. We're going to go through and talk about the literary styles and the, you know the political and socioeconomic and all the stuff. I'm just kidding, obviously. That would be boring. Um, but I do have a sermon where I talk about how uh, the role of scripture kind of plays a role in my faith. I talk about the authority of scripture. You can go to our podcast and scroll all the way down to 2018 and find it pretty easily. Um, So I'm not going to do all that. Sorry. But the point that I'm trying to make today is this. Every single text this week required work. It's not all just sweet and pretty platitudes. There's not a lot that you would cross stitch on a pillow. I mean... Where's David? I feel like David might do that. He might pick some of this stuff for a pillow. Do you think? Yeah. Um, But anyways, like regardless of if you would put it on a pillow or not, every text this week requires the reader to step back and consider their relationship with the Bible, (laughs) to consider our mode of interpreting scripture. Every text this week requires work because the life of faith requires work. Um, But, sermon spoiler, we are resourced to do this work. Like we often do around here, I have to do the acknowledgement that I can't actually do your faith work for you, which is why I'm not going to do the 45-minute thing. Just like you can't do my faith work for me. That said, I will share that for me, when I visit the lectionary and I am inevitably confronted with texts that make me think, WTF, Um, When I'm challenged to critically think about my modes of interpretation, I have to go back to my groundwork. This groundwork is the faith work that I have put in and continue to put in so that my faith foundation might be one that can hold me up consistently. Ever evolving, always requiring maintenance, occasionally needing to be relayed altogether, nevertheless, present, steady, strong. When I return to my groundwork, can't speak for you, but when I return to my groundwork, I am reminded of a few things, namely that I read the Bible in light of Christ, in light of resurrection hope. I read the Bible in light of Imago Dei, which I see woven throughout the stories, prophecies, and poetry of scripture. When I read the Bible primarily, though, I read it in light of love. So whenever I return to my groundwork, I am reminded that a single reading, or five, will not sway the concepts that ground me to my faith. Rather, the concepts that ground me to my faith consistently inform my readings. What's more, whether I'm always conscious of it or not, my groundwork informs my daily posture. That's why it matters, because let's get real, we don't need to read the Bible to experience faith upheaval. I'm, look, I have faith in y'all, but I'm just guessing a lot of people in here don't actually read the Bible every day. <laughs> we don't need to read the Bible to experience faith upheaval. All we have to do is wake up in the morning. <laughs> All we have to do is pull up the news on our phones. All we have to do is consider our burdens or walk out the front door. All we have to do is exist, and our faith will experience challenges. And if our ordinary, to-be-expected seasons of divine disconnect don't rattle us, then the inevitable life-altering moments of loss and tragedy will. 
these realities of change and suffering will show up, beckoning us to return and once again assess our foundations. In these moments, we will need to consider is the groundwork we have laid sturdy enough to sustain our faith? Do we need to adjust, repair, relay? It's okay if we do. And so it's not just scripture readings that like to shake things up. I mean, please, for me at least, how I go about interpreting the Bible is just like the tip of the faith iceberg. The deeper questions are like, why do I do this thing of the life of faith? How? Do I practice my faith? But I often find that the same is true. I practice in light of what I understand about Christ. I practice in light of Imago Dei. I practice my faith in light of love. By practice, I mean embodiment of what, why, how we believe. Because if I've learned anything, it's that belief alone isn't sufficient anyway. I need more. We need more. And here's the thing. I believe we have it. I believe we have what we need. This is what resourced, if you look, you know, in the guide or follow us on social media, this is our fall sermon series, resourced is meant to convey that within us lies a reservoir of spiritual resources, and these resources via our rituals, our daily acts of connection, our lived expressions of faith, these can serve us as daily nourishment and fuel. So this series is our weekly invitation, even if we aren't here in person, we're doing a watch party, we're doing something. This is our weekly invitation to consider how we are resourced to face the world, not just to face it, but to face it with hope and with courage and with energy and so on. It's our invitation to remember that we are equipped with valuable spiritual tools so we cannot just endure whatever current circumstances we each face, but we can actually be well in the thick of them. Of course, this won't take away the realities of suffering, but we don't have to sink under the weight of suffering. We can face the truth of our lives. So the series is, is resourced, but it's not resourced, it's re-sourced, re-sourced. Because while it signifies being well-equipped, we're also wanting to emphasize a return, a reconnection to a source we've always known and always had access to, re-meaning again, indicating repetition, because this divine presence and provision has always been with us, around us, within us. We have a faith that we can return to again and again, and even if that faith feels measly or out of practice, even in shambles, that's not nothing. It's something, and we can work with something. We can work with something around here. In fact, maybe our faith isn't as flimsy as we might think. As we return to our source and we resource ourselves, we recognize and become at peace with the fact that change is just a constant within us. Each new day reshapes us. We shift, we grow, our beliefs are always evolving. Why wouldn't we experience inner upheaval from time to time? Combine this with a world that is 
also ever-changing, and it's to be expected that we will experience faith crises many times throughout our lives, if we're doing it right. (laughs) Unlike what we may have been told in the past, I just want to say this is normal. Our questioning and our wrestling is not an indicator of a faltering faith, as some might have us believe. Rather, it's confirmation that we're just like alive and human. What's more, when it comes to the things of faith, it's proof that we're right where we should be. Our spirits are actually fertile here. We're postured for listening, expanding, receiving, resourcing. So I wonder what if from this place we like actually put in the work, like didn't skip, for me that looks like not skipping the hard lectionary readings. But what if we assessed our foundations and relayed faith groundwork where needed? And listen, I know you're tired. Is anyone tired? <laughs> I know you're tired because I'm tired too. But I just feel like what good thing in your life ever came without any work? <laughs> just for real though. Like, no valuable aspect of life comes without some bit of effort. Think of the care poured into your most valued relationships. Did you put zero work into those relationships? What if you did? (laughs) What about the attention given to the spaces we call home? What if we never put any work or attention into our home? Could our plants or gardens flourish without our cultivation? Could our passions and hobbies grow without dedication? It's a ridiculous question, but what if Coco Gauff never practiced? I would have had like an hour more sleep last night, for one, because I got sidetracked watching tennis highlights, which I don't even watch tennis. But anyways, I'm just saying like any accomplishment or goal that we've reached in our lives required risk and perseverance and most importantly work. And yet, when it comes to the things of faith, we often expect it to be devoid of effort for some reason. But faith is no exception. See, I think the reason we're like this sometimes is because we were harmed when the old paradigms told us exactly what to believe. Like an old overprotective parent sparing their child from any form of struggle, we were hurt when we were spoon-fed the illusion of certainty. And in a way, we sold our own souls when we accepted deals to believe and trust what spiritual leaders and communities told us, all so that we didn't have to do any faith work or think for ourselves ever. Without even realizing it, many of us were lulled into complacency, sacrificing our spiritual autonomy for the comfort of prepackaged doctrines. And so what happened was we became people who lacked awareness that we already have the tools needed to build our own spiritual resilience. We don't need faith micromanaging because we are already resourced. We are empowered via God in us, but recognizing this isn't enough. A genuine return, a daily resourcing demands active participation and conscious effort. I'm not saying you need to be working hard to believe in a religious box that me or us or any person is trying to hand you or any tradition is trying to hand you. I'm not saying work hard to believe whatever or however. I believe your journey is your own, it's unique, and it's sacred. 
I'm just saying prioritize the spiritual endeavor of resourcing yourself. Trust in its value. Carve your path. Question, wonder, and believe as your heart and soul guide you. Lay your own groundwork, though, and you'll be glad that you did. Because whether it's seeking solace in the midnight hour or navigating the dark night of the soul or seeking peace at life's end or anything in between, the effort invested in your spiritual journey will yield rewards. Because no one can walk this road for you, the journey requires effort. But remember... We journey together. Even if half our people are out sick today, they're still journeying with us. They're journeying. We journey together not to tell each other what to believe, not to draw lines on the sand of who is in and who is out. We journey together, and we regularly remind each other that we're resourced, and we share our resources with each other. We journey together, making it all more bearable and beautiful. We journey together because where two or more are present, God is with us, meaning love is with us. In community, love takes root and thrives. So in this way, I'm not doing my groundwork just for myself. I'm doing it for you too. You're welcome. (laughs) Knowing that at some point on this journey, my own work, my own steady faith might encourage you somehow, but also vice versa. When I don't have the spiritual oomph within me, perhaps you might assist me. I'm hoping you will. So to bring it all full circle, back to the lectionary. We go ahead with the uncomfortable, questionable texts around here. And even though it's tricky slash annoying, we step into what is required of us in those moments We steady ourselves by going back to our groundwork, and we apply our praxis for biblical interpretation. So when I read from Romans, for example, all the good and all the bad that's in that text bundled up in one biblical paradox, I ultimately discover a valuable message. Love does no wrong. Love does no harm. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Ugh, reminds me of my favorite line from O Holy Night. Anyone? Anyone? His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Should we just sing that now? Because Costco has the decorations out, I'm just saying. (laughs) Any embodiment of our beliefs should be practiced in light of love. God is love. God is our source. Love is our source. Now, maybe after all our work, we can't see that. We can't see God. But we can recognize love. And so our work becomes simple. Daily return to that source. Is your heart burning for me to give you prescriptions? I hope not. But if it is, here it is. Move in the direction of love. May love be our guide, our anchor, our proof. May we perpetually journey back to love, even as we forge ahead love while being fiercely present love. May we continually source from love's infinite well. Amen.